Hello everyone, this is Kimbra. Welcome back to Playing With Fire. This week I spoke with my wise and wonderful friend, Bree Stoner. I can't wait for you to get to know her through this conversation. I so encourage you to check out her own podcast called Unknowing and also engage with the amazing courses she offers online. This conversation really explores another side of transcendence, which is the isolation from it that we all find ourselves in. When the lights just go out. There's this temptation to chase mountaintop moments without realizing that the seasons of desolation are just as important. But man, they are so hard, and I've been through many in my life. But when we chase only the transcendent highs, we miss this work of transformation, which is often done in the dark, murky waters when we can't see where we're going. Stick around for the end where I'll share my thoughts. But for now, let's get straight into it. Bree Stoner, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast, <laughs> Playing With Fire. You have been such an incredible friend to me over the past year. You've become one of the most important people in my life, really, without really knowing you for very long. Um, it's yeah, amazing how much we've shared in such a short space of time. Um, but more than, more than being a friend, you've actually become a very important teacher in my life. Um, I first came across your work in a podcast you did with Richard Rohr called Another Name for Everything. And you then stepped into the place of starting your own podcast called Unknowing, which was a real friend to me in some of my harder times walking in this journey of, um, I guess, self-discovery and, 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 and seeking. Mm -hmm. And as I take the courageous leaps of playing with fire in my own life, I have needed your words of encouragement. I've needed... Um, the spaces that you've created to really, um, you know, candidly, transparently talk about how hard it is to walk in the dark at times, to walk in uncertainty. Mm. Um, and I, I just can't thank you enough for the wisdom that you've offered to me during these times. And I can't think of a better person to talk to about transcendence, because when I look at your life, I see that you have a hunger for it um, and that it started from an early age. I think that's what we recognized in each other was this, mm. this deep seeker heart that we both have. Um, and I, I guess I just want to jump straight in by asking, what were the first encounters you had with with uh, with transcendence? However, you define that, and I know it's a, a word that describes you know a vast array of experience. But this this sort of itch for for something beyond yourself. Um, can you tell me some of the first moments that you tapped into that? That you recognized your desire for that and and where they came from in your childhood well first of all thank you so much kimbra for having me on and um the love and admiration and animation is mutual <laughs> i feel so deeply inspired by the steps the courageous steps that you take um so i draw so much uh strength and encouragement from you um you know i suppose that the the earliest experiences of transcendence in my own life are those of transcending the containers that I was given, the frameworks that I was handed yeah. to make sense of my reality. And the way that I've described this in the past is that um, it felt like I was in a landscape, in a terrain, and all of a sudden I would hit um, like a trap door into something broader and bigger. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, I grew up in a pretty conservative 
uh, Christian uh, framework when I was growing up. I grew up as a as a Baptist missionary kid in Spain. And while my parents were very radically inclusive and progressive, the theological container, the the spiritual container that I was handed was still pretty uh, small, was very um, exclusive oriented. There were people who were in and then there were people who were out. And so I think that my first experiences of transcendence had to do with encountering what felt like a more expansive way of looking at reality, something in which everyone was included. It wasn't just the people who belonged to the specific belief system that I was handed as a kid. A sense of a collective belonging that went beyond mm -hmm. notions of right and wrong or heaven and hell or limited frameworks that seemed to divide into those who were in and those who were out. And I think also some early experiences of transcendence around literature and around art moments like being swept up, uh, standing before Picasso's Guernica when I was a little girl, you know, this vast, mm. massive painting and feeling myself caught up in the riot of edges and the sharp contrasts and the, the grays and the black and white. It moved me into something more expansive, something I didn't have the language for. It's it's yeah. rapture, you know, moments of rapture, really. Yes. And I think there are many moments like that. The more that I pull on the thread, the more it feels like moments of transcendence were happening all the time, you know, and happen all the time. Mm. It's just whether or not we have the pause and attention to recognize them as such, maybe, you know? I find art does often take us um, to that place. And I, I think it was similar for me also growing up in New Zealand and looking out at these landscapes that felt so um, other, but yet so part of me at the same time. And, yeah. and that brings me to paradox as well. I think, you know, in a lot of your, um, your, your teaching that you've done and especially the most recent course, which I took, which was the womb course, you're, you're not afraid to live in the both and, to, to hold two uh -huh. things at once. When mm -hmm. did your curiosity begin for the paradoxical thinking that we see in mystical writers? And do you remember those early times where your capacity opened up for, mm. um, for that, that place of, of holding two things at once? Because that's a really big shift, isn't it, in, in a person's mm. journey? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, developmentally, we begin our lives by learning differentiation. You know, it's like, which one of these mm, things is not right. like the other? You know, it's part of our developmental process as human beings. Like we have to learn how to, how to distinguish and differentiate. And that's it's a very necessary functioning part of our brains. <laughs> we oh, really need uh -huh, we need that yeah. ability in order to to do what we do and create what we create, and that's wonderful. The problem is that we get stuck in that modality of binaries, like you just said, of creating categories and dualities where it's either this or that. You're either in or you're out. You're either right or you're wrong. You're either in the right, you know, political camp, or you're in the wrong political camp. Um, and so what happens in that kind of binary dualistic thinking is that we become very dogmatic and entrenched in a worldview that is actually quite violent and almost antithetical to how life really is and how it operates. And I find that this can sound really, really heady and abstract and esoteric until you use language like music. 
you know, a chord is made up by more than one note. And in fact, it's the tension between the notes, the rubbiness between the notes that make that kind of vibrational um, chord sound so delicious and so, so yeah. appealing and beautiful. And so I think that yes. another way to think about paradox is is building on tension and allowing tension to be beautiful and to feel the tension as an expression itself, to not feel like you have to collapse things into either this or that, but to be able to hold it together. And I remember having a moment being out in, the, in a field playing with some of my friends in Spain and having this deep sense of recognition that whatever God was, if a God existed, was such complete and utter love that everyone would belong to that love, that everyone would have the same, you know, outcome and that it would be a positive one. Yeah. And so from those kind of religious paradoxical moments of beginning to hold the tension of realizing, like, I, I just can't hold to belief systems that exclude people. I can't, you know, it's, 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 just, yeah. it's almost incompatible with what right. I believe to be true about love. And then, you know, of course, discovering that there were other thinkers and writers, like you named the mystics, mystics from all world uh, traditions that have been saying much the same, the oneness, that we all belong to each other, that whatever love or God is, if you believe in a God, that, that there's an equal shared sense of belonging to that God and that all are held in that same container of love. So from a spiritual standpoint, holding paradox was almost a natural, like a natural evolution. But it's funny how it was in complete rebellion to what I was being taught, which emphasized those boxes, right, right and wrong. And so I think in my own progression, you know, what began in a very conservative religious background just you know, we talk about transcendence. It's like each container was transcended over the course of my life. And sometimes, Kimber, that happened because of heartbreak, um, because of death, because mm -hmm. of loss. And other times just because I outgrew it. It's like the shoes that we were handed in some of these religious experiences are just too small for our feet. So at a certain point, we realize that like we don't, we don't need these shoes to keep walking. So we chuck the shoes, but we keep going on our journey. <laughs> And I think that transcending whatever confines, whatever constrains, and whatever, whatever is holding you back from what is ultimately true, which must be ultimate freedom, right? Which must be ultimate love. So anything that does not feel like freeing love is, you know, maybe those are the wrong shoes to dance in. Yeah, and it seems like the experience of this unconditional love is so so great and so vast that you know your beliefs have to expand to accommodate that that great force that is being revealed to you in this moment through the piece of art through the music through the staring at the trees and feeling some sort of protection or 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 um or belonging with with nature i think that's why you know maybe a good way to summarize my views of transcendence. It's like these experiences of transcendence are like a trap door um, or like a terrain that requires you to kick off your shoes because you have to, it's so vast. You have, you have to walk all of it to really, to be in it. Um, but the trap door language I think is useful. It reminds me of, of Narnia where it's like, you know, 
this little girl stumbles into a magical wardrobe um, and she she's she thinks she's hiding in this wardrobe, but as she pushes into the back of the wardrobe, it gives way to this other, it's like a portal to this other magical land called Narnia. And I feel that these yeah. experiences of transcendence, whether they come through art or religion or poetry or whatever, or love, you know, moments of great love or sometimes of moments of great loss too, they are moments in the wardrobe. They are portals. They are trap doors into that greater mysterious reality that I think calls us. It's the more that's calling us. <laughs> mm. The more beyond mm. our limited stories and ideas of what reality is. For me, they're the kind of these signposts to keep um, faith, you know, in, in the more. Um, these, these things that lead me forward um, and having hope in, in times of desolation, which I want to move to next, because <laughs> as I turn up today, I, I find myself in a, you know, a place that's perhaps not as close to transcendent moments as I would, as I would like. I mean, all of us would like to feel that um, availability um, all the time. And we're told mm -hmm. by the great teachers that it, it is there, that it's, it's always in the present moment, that it is accessible. But yet we find ourselves as humans in these different seasons, which you've articulated so well, again, in, in your course that I just finished, um, you describe it as a womb phase. Or that's one of the seasons that we go into. Um, and I've got to say, I've, I've very much found myself there recently where my access to that um, deep knowing, that deep trust, that, that, that magic, you know, that, that, that feeling mm -hmm. of being connected or, or oneness, it's just felt out of reach. Yeah. This experience of nothing kind of working the way it did before. So you, you turn up to the things that provided solace in the past, provided security, provided maybe even transcendence, like ways of writing a song that, you know, created an outcome that felt satisfying or ways that you felt satiated. They just, they don't work anymore. They don't present the same um, outcome and, and the loneliness of that, the kind of um, loss of, of, of security. Um, you even talk about like feeling unable to be entertained in the same ways, you know, humor yeah. doesn't resonate the same or, or words, words don't, don't turn up yeah. in the same way for you. I've been feeling this myself, like a sort of yeah. sentences, not feeling fully formed or, or losing our ability to even um, articulate our experience yeah. clearly. It's very disorienting, especially for artists. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it can feel like right. transcendence is slipping away. Like it's kind mm. of like a thing of the past and that actually maybe I won't touch that again. Mm. Um, and and I, I just, I want to push in a little bit to your experiences of this and and learn, you know, from my friends and fellow creatives, how they navigate those times. and 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 maybe we could even you know, discuss how they are connected to transcendence and that mm. transcendence itself has an, in it the word transcend, which is, you know, this idea of, tra I guess, transforming or surpassing something, surpassing mm -hmm. a limitation, which thereby means, I guess, we have to experience the limitation or the emptiness. Yeah. And I, I actually feel that there's a really important distinction to make between experiences of transcendence and the transcendence of transformation. Because experiences of transcendence are momentary. And I think 
we touch upon those when we're swept up by the beauty of art or the beauty of love or even moments of great beauty or heartbreak. Um, the moments we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, I would say those are experiences of transcendence. They are insights into the land beyond. <laughs> They're glimpses. That's all yes. they are, glimpses. Yes. The veil drops and suddenly we yeah. see. We see more that we didn't know, you know. But experiences of transcendence do not equate transcendence as a state. <laughs> it doesn't right. mean that then yes. we are integrated at that same place of seeing. So the gift of these experiences is that they give us the taste and the scent. Yes. And then, then we are on our way to integrate those experiences into our daily lives. And I see this all the time. Kimber, I think we've talked about this a lot. So many people are hungering for these transcendent experiences and they, they are just like addicted to these, you know, moments of oneness, whether yeah. it's through psychedelics or whatever. But that doesn't equate integration. And you can still be a total asshole and have right. lots of transcendent experiences. <laughs> you know, it doesn't totally. mean that you are, you know, yep. you're not necessarily a kinder, right. better person, or you may have not actually transcended any <laughs> of your habits. It just means you're now addicted to peeking through the wardrobe into Narnia right. all the time. <laughs> so yes. I think uh -huh. it's it's the reconciling of the rub of this material plane, of this reality of being a human being, which is to be full of longing and to, you know, um, as the poem, I think it's Blake says, bear the beams of love. To bear the beams of love requires a certain kind of sensitivity. And there's so much suffering that we are exposed to and that we um, have to go through that's part of this life. And it's so painful and it's so hard. And it's like, you know, in some ways, it's like, I wish it wasn't this way. And yet, I suppose that what I ultimately believe about the road to or the way to actually make these momentary experiences of transcendence into a state of actually rising above, like what you named, the, the breaking through to the other side, is mm -hmm. alchemy. It's for me, it's so much more about alchemy and alchemy is all about compression and fire and heat and actually letting things kind of mm. mix together and come to a boil <laughs> to, you know, so that until yes. things are really like churning and fermenting and shifting and changing in you. And that's the mucky mess of being human, at least in my experience. It's like you can have all these great spiritual yeah. transcendent insights, but can we integrate them in the midst of you know, seasons yeah. like you just named where it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. things aren't working the way that they were. Or you wake up one day to find that all of the things or your practices, your rituals, um, or even your artistic rituals that have worked for you in the past suddenly aren't. You sit down to write a song at the piano like you have a million times and nothing is fucking coming out of it. <laughs> You're just sitting oh at the piano God, and nothing is coming. So and real. Yes. It is. And here's the thing is I think we live in a culture that celebrates being great and things being awesome and likes to tell a tale of quote unquote success in which things are working for you and you're manifesting your bliss and all this stuff. And we don't spend a lot of time mm -hmm. talking about the space you just named, which is grief, yeah. which is heartache, which is the womb time, winter time, you know, if everything in nature operates through a cycle of transformation and change, 
then maybe we need to reconcile ourselves to a more cyclical understanding of our own journeys of, of growth. Because mm. if what worked for you before doesn't work for you now, then you're being invited to try something new. You're being invited to stretch. You're being invited to reach for a new tool or a new instrument in a new way. And sometimes that reaching feels a bit like grappling around in the dark. And it feels like trying things and sometimes things work. And it feels like it takes a long time to find the next, I don't know, the next instrument or the next inspiring mm -hmm. piece of whatever it is that's going to motivate you to keep going. But I think it's that grappling around in the dark. And, and this is why I think I felt drawn to do a course called Womb. It's the grappling around in the dark. It's the descent into not knowing. It's the learning how to be comfortable with the uncertainty um, that I think is crucial for us to be membered to, to remember. I think we have a lot to learn from the dark. I think we have a lot to learn from seasons like the one that you're describing. It's one that I'm in too, and you know this because we're such good friends, but these are seasons yeah. where we have to let go of what we think we know to make room for the infinite potential of what could be. And that kind of growth happens in a container that's dark and murky and watery because that's where you came from. We came from that murky place of darkness and, and unknowing. But that's also where we're going. And if we don't make room for the unknown, if we don't make room for these seasons of difficulty, of challenge, I don't think we really grow. We just become collectors of insights. But insights mm. aren't the same thing as wisdom. And moments of transcendence do not actually transform us. If we're not willing to <sighs> sit with simmer, ferment, do the work of integrating those insights in, in our bodies and in our daily lives. It's so easy for us to accept that process in nature, but yet in our own cultures and in our own lives, we, we've, we've, we struggle to make space for it. And I mean, it, surely that must be just the messaging of our world as well, which is just so caught up in the productivity and in the success story, um, in, in the kind of domination of, of and possession of things. But we have space for it and room for it when we see it in the natural world. We have such a... Um, a deep reverence and understanding for it. I, I just, I wonder why it's, it's gotten lost on us as humans to, to embrace the same process in our own lives. Maybe it's a product of our disconnection from our, you know, our, our belonging to, to this planet and our environment. <laughs> it's the, the separation yeah. that we've created, this artificial separation that has um, yielded such catastrophic results um, and this is one of them is that we have we have become disembodied from the natural cyclical way of everything and from seeing the cycle as part of what allows us to transcend without the cycle without that downward spiral you know we wouldn't like I, like we were discussing earlier we wouldn't be in a space where we're having to try new things where we're having to shift and change and grow and you know, I think that those moments, those highs, those breakthrough uh, glimpses are powerful mm -hmm. because they stir longing 
in us. And I think longing is essential, is essential to the artist. It's essential to the creative, which is a a term I give to all humans, because if you're living, breathing and doing anything with your life, you're creating, you're creating with every choice you make. So the longing is the love because it's like the, the longing is what sort of catalyzes or animates us to to want to do more or want to explore more. It's what, you know, you talk about this podcast is playing with fire. It's like that's the fuel to the fire is the longing, is the the hope. Yeah. The unseen, hoped for beyond is always calling us, you know, whether it's through love or art or exploration or, you know, adventure. And without that longing, I mean, would we would we ever leave the comfort of what has been? For those who feel like they may have lost a connection to the fire that once was alive in them or that they once kind of felt access to, what are some ways that you feel we can tend to that, um, that, that spark that is inextinguishable in all of us and, and become kind of curious and, and flirtatious with it again when, when we feel like perhaps we've we've become disconnected from it or it doesn't feel as available. Are there any insights you can share from your deep womb seasons, your your seasons of unknowing that yeah. can help stir that back up again? <laughs> yeah. Well, I just appreciate so much that um, a lot of our conversation has hovered over the spaces that don't often get associated with transcendence, <laughs> which are the ashy, the the ashes, the moments in the ashes, right? The moments when when it seems like the fire has gone out. The embers are still there, though. What I appreciate about uh, your orientation, even in our conversation, is to is to reclaim the ashy moments, is to reclaim the ember moments as part of the flame, just as much as the big mm. fire moments oh, are, wow. yeah. you know. It, it it all belongs in in the fire making and in the fire play and um you know just like a campfire often it is by turning toward and embracing friction i once had somebody say to me uh you know frustration breeds creativity so don't be afraid of frustration brie and um i've really taken those words to heart because it is the rub. It's the, it's the place where there's a tension that we often have to turn toward, not away. Mm. It's learning how to become comfortable with the discomfort of that rub and seeing these seasons of frustration as what is actually creating the friction that will give birth to a new fire, a new flame in us, a new possibility. And I think for so many of us, that means... Uh, reframing what these seasons are. So you and I have held each other's hand in the last couple months as we've both kind of been in those seasons of unknowing and again and again have said to each other, hey, you know, this isn't, this isn't a tomb. This is the womb. (laughs) This isn't the end. This is the beginning of something new. Mm. So Maybe a practice for those who are listening is to turn toward that frustration in your own life and consider what if this isn't a problem? Mm. What if there's nothing wrong with you? What if everything that feels ashy is just Q 
keeping the coals warm for the beginning of a new fire in your life, for something you haven't even imagined yet, something that is longing to spark up and make a big flame. If I can add one more reflection on on these ashy spaces or the times when it seems like the light has almost completely gone out, these times when we're grappling around in the dark and cannot see, can't see a way forward and don't know what's next, is that without that darkness, would we really be paying attention? Would we, would we have both hands out? Would we be willing to crawl on our hands and knees and maybe find a new trap door that we didn't know was there? Like, I think, I guess what I'm, what I'm thinking about, Kimbra, is the ways in which these seasons of unknowing or these seasons of what feels like a lack of transcendence, maybe they're just orienting us to look down instead of looking up, to seeing other trap doors that might be available to us or new ways of connecting to spaces that are beyond or places that are beyond what we think and what we know. Um, And I don't know, for some reason that image is kind of in my head of like being on your hands and knees and feeling like, okay, you know, maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's something to the crawling in the dark, to like having to put your hands out, to like, you know, that sense of presence that, that not seeing or that having one of your senses taken from you brings you into. It's a form of like radical attention because you pay, you're, you're paying attention at a different level because every moment feels like an eternity. And so in that space, it's like, how can we be present to what that level of presence is inviting us into? And this convo with Brie really challenged me to go deeper into the purpose of a transcendent moment. It's a trapdoor to something wider and more expensive, but it doesn't necessarily change us just because we experienced it. The work comes after when we integrate this into our lives. This takes trust and patience. I loved how she spoke of transcending the containers she was given through encountering this reality of collective belonging. She spoke about the movement from differentiation to holding paradox, like the tension between multiple notes in a chord. Brie warns us of the addiction to moments that give us a glimpse, but don't lead us deeper if we're always chasing them. Instead, how can we let alchemy do its work in us? Nature obeys the cycles of transformation, but we struggle to allow room for them in our own lives. How can we reclaim the ashy embers just as much as the flame? I know I put so much focus on these grand glimpses that I forget they're only one part of an ongoing process. The seasons of frustration are creating the friction which will give birth to a new fire. And finally, how does the darkness teach us to pay attention to our lives? The loss of certain senses can open up others that we truly need to grow. Thank you for listening. And as always, if you have any insights from this conversation that you'd like to share, join the conversation over at Discord. It's a place where we can build community around the things we're learning together. This podcast is brought to you by TalkHouse. Feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.